Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I think a lot of people have some semblance of imposter syndrome that they deal with. And so for me, it was kind of having that throughout my life, but I've had some people who believed in me along the way who really showed me how I can gain confidence in myself. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. So everyone thinks that they have to be so perfect making a podcast. I don't know. I think that that's not true. I think that there's a ton of ways to make a podcast. And there's a ton of different success variables to podcasting. How do I make these personal spots? I just, right now, the computer's on my knee, on speakerphone, and I'm just talking to you candidly, sitting at my desk, about to do my team call in a little bit. And even though the audio quality is different, the feedback I've gotten is that listeners really like it, you really like it, because it's authentic and it's it's real. I think we have to let go to think that everything that we do needs to be absolutely perfect at all times, because what is perfect? And isn't it more connective and authentic? That word authentic, is it driving you as crazy as it's driving me? <laughs> isn't it, you know... Just here we go again, <laughs> more authentic to do something that's real, like on a speakerphone or on an iPhone or, you know, then trying to have this huge production thing and seem so perfect all the time. I don't know. It just seems like more connective, the more real we keep it. Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from New York and Los Angeles. Welcome, the co-founders of Blink Date. Hello. Hello. 
Hi. So excited to have you here. So let's jump into it. Go ahead. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. I know we have Laura and Tally, and they're going to share a bit about Blink Date. But first, go into like, what is even like your role at Blink Date? Yeah. Yeah. So hello, everyone. I'm Tally. I am the co-founder and CEO of Blink. A little bit about me, I am a lawyer by education, but am now doing product management by day and working on Blink by night with Laura, my co-founder. Yeah, and so I am a co-founder and COO here at uh, Blink, and I uh, too kind of transitioned into product from working in a world of operations and training, and half my career has been in product management where I specialize in marketplaces, uh, building everything from brand new marketplaces just entering the market to optimizing you know, multi-million dollar marketplaces. So really the pride and joy of my life right now is working on Blink alongside with Tali. Awesome. And when did you both create Blink? What inspired you to create Blink? Yeah. So what inspired me to create Blink? It was actually eating at a blackout restaurant several years ago where I ate with total strangers in complete darkness and had an amazing conversation with them without having any idea what they looked like. And after the dinner ended, I saw them for the first time outside the restaurant, and I realized they were nothing like, like what I expected. And had I seen them beforehand, I would have assumed that we wouldn't have had anything in common, and I would have been wrong. And it sparked this thought, you know, would people be more willing to meet and get to know one another if they didn't know what the other people looked like first? And so Blink was born, and we started working on it last year. Laura and I started working together in November of last year, so about to hit our, our anniversary together. That's, you know, how, how Blink was born. You know what's so funny is I love going on blind dates. Like, I actually feel more comfortable going on blind dates. I don't use any dating apps. I just, like, I like people to set me up and me. I don't want to know what they look like. I don't know what what they do. Nothing. I just want to show up and be open-minded. So tell us a little bit about Blink. Can I ask a question about that? Have you ever gone on a blind date where you couldn't see them during the date? I feel like possibly I have either I did it myself or I saw it in a movie and I felt like it was my own experience. But I know what you're talking about, where like where you go into a a restaurant and it's pitch dark and you don't see anybody. And I'm like, did I have that life experience or did I see it in a movie? (laughs) Like, I can't remember. Um, But possibly I'll say I'll say no just to play it safe. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you like blind dates. That's really awesome. So tell us about Blink Date. Yeah, go for it, Laura. Uh, Yeah, so Blink is an audio-first profile and swipe-free dating experience where you get to know people by going on 10-minute speed dates. And so the process is really uh, you put in some very basic information, and then uh, you put in your availability, and then we match you for dates with other people. The only thing you know is their name before you actually get on the call with them. And then you have a 10-minute conversation. If the date goes well, then you move on to glances. If the date doesn't go well, you won't see any glances. You'll just go into your next date. Uh, In the glances process, you'll actually see three photos of three different people. And that's where you get to say, based on the conversation I just had, would I be interested in this person? How about this other person? Or maybe this other person? And so the idea is to uh, allow you to challenge your own assumptions and to be able to see how much wider your attraction spectrum is based on actually getting to know somebody. If it's a match on both the blink date and the glance, then it's a match and you can move on to in-app messaging. This is so fun. You know, it reminds me of that show on Netflix. What's it called? Where they met each other through the wall. Love is Blind. Love is blind. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like Love is Blind in an uh, app. That's exactly right. Can you tell me some of the success stories that um, Blink has had? Our beta app is going to be released uh, later this month. But in the meantime, what we've done to gather feedback and to see how it went was we did a proof of concept podcast called Date in a Blink, where we actually hosted these audio-only dates um, for people that 
signed up for the experience. We had over 100 people sign up and we were able to match 17 couples. We had 50% match and over 60% wanted to continue their conversations with the people that they spoke with. And the, the feedback we got was really incredible. One person said it was the best online date she'd ever had. People really liked that they weren't able to see the other person because they were able to focus on the conversation they were having. They liked that there was no visual because they didn't have to worry about getting ready. And so it was all around a huge success. And we actually just wrapped season one. So we're really excited to um, get ready for season two, where we'll continue hosting dates and actually bring on relationship coaches and um, relationship therapists to provide feedback about the dates and help people learn how to date better and healthier. Like, I genuinely love what your app is. I just, I love the idea of not seeing someone. I'm so into it. Like, I'm so into getting to know someone, who someone is first. I think people get too caught up in, like, social stalking someone or trying to find out everything. But um, one of the things that I brought up before we started recording, I was talking to Laura for a second, and I was sharing with both um, you, Laura, and you, Tally, that, you know, for me, this week is like a really difficult week. And sometimes as founders, not even sometimes, like a lot of times, we have to show up no matter what the challenges are. Like, how do you both show up when it's difficult to show up and like push through? Have you had those days yet early on in your app building? Sometimes it feels like every day. <laughs> and it, it's not necessarily that we feel that way towards building blank because Tali and I will message each other throughout the day about how excited we are about what we're building and how much fun it is. Um, but for full context, for those who are listening to this, at this current point in time, we are both still working day jobs. And so for us, being able to balance those things can be really difficult. Uh, and so sometimes it's hard because we have a lot of other commitments that are on our plate and we are super excited about being able to uh, get Blink out there, fundraise for Blink, uh, and really be able to build our own team. Uh, and then we have to juggle that with the the challenges that we have and the stresses of our day job. And so that often means that we're showing up very exhausted and finding ways that we can kind of re-energize ourselves with each other. I think Tali and I work super well together, and I'll, I'll let Tali speak and add any of her thoughts um, uh, in a moment. But it's one of those things where some days I am just like completely wiped, and I'm like, I don't... I really want to work on Blink, but I'm exhausted and I kind of just want to like relax and watch Squid Game or something like that or just binge watch any type of TV. I'm hearing uh, about this Squid Game. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not in the, I don't know. And then there was this YouTube video last night and they're like, warning, there's cliffhangers on Squid Game. I'm like, I better not watch it. It sounds like something I should be, wa all right. I mean, side note to the podcast, anybody who needs to relax, go watch this Squid Game thing. I don't know anything about it, but apparently it's the It is not relaxing to watch it. <laughs> oh, it's not, never mind. No. <laughs> never mind. It's stressful, but it, uh, it, it's like, it takes your mind away. But go ahead, Tali. Just a fun fact about Squid Games that I saw on the skim this morning. Apparently, uh, the shoes that the folks wear in the show, it, the sales have increased by 7,000% since this show what? started. So that's wow. a fun fact. <laughs> I, I, think they, I think they intentionally timed it with Halloween just because <laughs> I now have a lot of targeted ads. Yes, I have a lot of ads that are trying to get me to buy the jumpsuits, uh, jumpsuits, the face masks, um, yeah, it's just, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, circling back, you know, I also, I think it's sort of a roller coaster. Every day is sort of different when you're working on a startup, especially when you're working a full-time day job. But, you know, to be totally honest and kind of open up a, a little bit more, I was working with somebody else before I was working with Laura, and that was a really draining experience. It wasn't a great relationship, just like dating. When you realize that it's not working, you know, and it takes a lot out of you. And so once that ended and I started working with Laura, I realized how much 
uh, energy the people that are around me give me. And so I think now over the past year working with Laura, like I just feel energized by her presence. And on the days that I'm down, just talking to her can reinvigorate me. And that doesn't mean that I don't take evenings off. I totally also do, although not with Squid Games right now. I'm, I'm watching a bunch of other shows. I'm watching Manifest. Yeah, I think it's really just... Um, remembering that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we are still working our day jobs, but we know that we want to fundraise and just kind of keeping my mind's eye on that and, and kind of knowing that I'm, I'm going down this tunnel with somebody who I'm really excited to be doing it with. And a side note, I was actually going to give the both of you before we started recording and I forgot, and I'm glad you brought it up again that you're looking to fundraise. Make sure, and just remind me after the interview, because it's going to be hard to retain that information, to check out Slauson and Company, which is an LA base for grants, and also to check out Seed Scout, which is basically, um, it's free to sign up and investors pay to access this database of promising new startups to make seed investments into the startup. So Seed Scout and Slauson and Company. So I just don't want to forget to like tell you those two things. And then I have a few other like investor ideas as well. What keeps you like, why do this? Like, I mean, this is a question I even ask myself like all the time. I ask all of us. It's like some people ask like, how did you choose to be an entrepreneur? I'm like, I didn't choose. I just am. It's like this life that I, it's my identity. I just am. And so when you share, like you're working this job and you guys are, you both are building this company. Why do this? Why put yourself through all of that? I think um, a couple of things. One thing is we are deeply mission driven and the mission of blank isn't just kind of related to dating. We really hope to expand it beyond that and help people move past prejudices based on visual appearances. And so it's something that just drives me personally to help make the world a little bit less prejudiced, make it a little bit more equitable. And so the, the vision of that in five or 10 years, is, it just inspires me so much. And it's something that I'm just so excited to be doing. I think beyond that, I'm just like a very entrepreneurial person. I like creating things and building things. I also have a, a pet treat bag that I created and sell. I also just like building things around my apartment. So for me, like I just like you know, making things, whether it's a tangible item or a technical item or whatever it may be. And my dad is self-employed. So I've always had this kind of ingrained in me, you know, having your own business and, and kind of growing it. And so it's just always been part of me and something that I'm, I'm just excited to finally be taking, taking on, even though it does mean right now not sleeping as much as I'd like, uh, but that's okay. Laura, I'd love to hear your answer to this actually, because I don't know that I have. Oh, yeah. So the thing that kind of keeps me going is I have this phrase that I like, which is uh, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just a little extra. And so that's something that I think about it all the time, because when I was younger, when I was 16, I was going through like a really tough time. Uh, and so I was actually planning on dropping out of high school and becoming a hairstylist, like of all things in the world. And it was because I wasn't particularly surrounded by people that were doing really anything different. And so um, I had a guidance counselor who I'm friends with on Facebook. And every once in a while, I message him and tell him that he essentially is the reason why my life is what it is today. Uh, because I was like, hey, I want to I want to leave. And I just I want to drop out. And I just want to do this other thing. Uh, and he was like, uh, you shouldn't do that. There are other options available. Uh, and so he kind of pointed me in the right direction. And so I was able to actually graduate a year early instead of dropping out because I had the credentials to do so. I was able to go to a local community college into an honors program because I realized that I could apply, even though I didn't think I would get in. I didn't think that I could. Um, and it's not that I didn't think that I could based on like society. It's just I didn't know it was an option. And so for me, one of the biggest things in my life is that 
Um, there are so many things that I was completely ignorant to their existence, just like had no idea that they existed, despite the hunger that I might have felt. I was like, I always knew that I wanted to do something big, but I didn't know even where to get started. And so I was super, super, super lucky and incredibly privileged and fortunate to have somebody or I've had a couple of people along my life that pointed me in the right direction and said, hey, I'm going to point you in this direction and you can just go. Uh, and a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And so for me, one of the biggest reasons why I'm absolutely obsessed with the idea for Blink is that we're starting with the dating world and we have this big grand vision of how we can uh, reduce bias because I've had friends in similar situations as myself, but they weren't uh, given kind of the benefit of the doubt that I was given. Uh, people, Other people didn't see in them what they saw in me. And so therefore they weren't given the same types of opportunities. And I feel like that's such uh, it, it's just, it's crappy. Like it's, it's not a good feeling. And so that's something for me that always keeps me going is that we have this, like this huge vision of where we want to go and what we want to do. And I think that everyone deserves those sorts of opportunities that like, it shouldn't matter what you look like. Shouldn't matter where you were born. None of those things should matter. What should matter is uh, kind of you know, like what your personality is, you know, what are the things that you're naturally inherently good at, you know, and, and allow that to kind of point you in the right direction to at least open up those opportunities to you. And I just feel like there's a lot of closed doors and it's super exciting to be able to work on something to open more doors. So that's that's kind of my my everything. It's interesting. I was one of the early users of Clubhouse and even the Clubhouse is in a dating app. The intimacy that we formed in the relationships by just hearing one another's voices and truly taking the time to get to know. I mean, we'd be on the phone with one another. Sometimes it'd just be one-on-one -on -one for hours and hours. I was on before it was 10,000 people. So the culture of Clubhouse was a lot different then. And so I could just picture just that same intimacy and blink that it's just... It's irreplaceable. I don't know. It's it's really beautiful. It's just uh, you form this bond and this rapport and this connection before even meeting. So by the time you do meet, you feel this just kind of like foundation of trust or understanding that it's just really unlike any other kind of social medium. And so I really appreciated having that experience. So I, I envision that that's what Blink would feel like, too. Yeah, actually, there is at least one person who found their husband on Clubhouse, that found, a couple that found each other on Clubhouse. And I think it was the same sort of story where they just spent hours talking to one another and built a really deep connection. And at some point, they must have met and realized that, you know, they found their their other person, their, their penguin, so to speak. And so I think you're right. Like, and, you know, it's what we're really leaning into. Voice is a really powerful way to connect. Uh, I know there are alternatives where folks can use video, but we really think that the intimacy of developing a relationship based on real compatibility, based on communication and connection, that's the foundation of a lasting relationship. And like um, studies show actually that the initial spark based on appearances, that actually doesn't translate to lasting long-term relationships. Um, and so we're really excited to give people the chance to connect based on voice because we really think it's it's the foundation for uh, lasting, successful relationship. Completely and utterly agree. Like, so agree. Before I forget, there were two more resources that popped up in my head. Grid 110 in Los Angeles. I don't know if you've heard of it before, Grid 110. It's uh, really great, run by Mickey Reynolds, and it it's an accelerator now. They don't take money and they don't give money, but they provide you the resources and the network to get you to the next level. So I feel like it's just a great resource to kind of give you that boost. And another one is called Growth University, which is not an accelerator. It, it is like a membership program. But the thing I like about them, which um, makes me think of you, is that they have a relationship with investors. So essentially what they do is they set you up on a growth trajectory and then they connect you to their pool of investors who may fund you. 
And so it's more their second step that made me think of it. So just like Google search and I can introduce you to the founder uh, of that to know more. I've been involved in audio technology for, for several years. I started podcasting in 2013. There was an audio company at the time called PodClear. I got to discover how difficult audio technology is. <laughs> and so I have a deep appreciation to, for what you're building. So like, are you both developers? How did you conceive this idea and then actually make it become a reality? Because it's extremely, extremely difficult to do and costly. Yeah. So one of the really cool things that exists in today's day and age is Agora. And so it's actually a platform that you can build essentially no code solutions on top of. I will say that um, though it's no code, it's not actually no code, it's low code. So you still have to put the skin on top of it and everything. But the, the beautiful thing about Agora is that it does make it very easy to make audio connections in a way that you're really then able to focus your engineering efforts on building kind of the skin around it. So that's something that is uh, really cool for us. Uh, we actually use an offshore development team uh, in order to build the app. So neither Tally nor myself are technical, but both of us having backgrounds in uh, product management is something that helps us to be able to have a good relationship with our engineers to understand what information we need to give them so that they can build something really effective for us. The type of platform that we're building isn't super complicated uh, at this point for our MVP. And so at this stage, it's actually really beneficial for us to be able to focus a lot of our energy on uh, you know, building the kind of growth behind it, the growth machine, uh, doing a lot of the marketing, reaching out with influencers and partnerships, uh, and then being able to still manage the information that we're getting from interviewing our customers and translating that into, uh, you know, enhancements for our app. There's so many startups who are also non-technical. I mean, I want to say co-founders, not necessarily that because you're both you get what I'm saying. They're not on technical side of it. So how do you both set up the security? Like when you're working with the development team in starting up, how do you make sure you're both secure? Because I think that would help everybody as they're building their own companies. What do they do if they're not the developer to make sure they're setting it up in a way where, you know, you've heard the story. So my code won't be stolen. Like, what do you do? Well, I'll let Tali speak to kind of the legal side of things because I think she's uh, better equipped for that side. But one of the things that's really important is, this is going to sound like a really terrible thing to say, is find someone that you trust that is technical uh, to kind of assist you in that process towards the very beginning. So if you can find somebody who can help with the auditing process, that would help. That's kind of one thing. The other thing is make sure you get access to everything. So like uh, learn terms like GitHub, learn terms like, uh, uh, there's like a variety of different tools out there, but essentially anything that they're creating, make sure that the that they're doing it with your credentials, that they're not doing it with their own. They can have logins, but not necessarily uh, creating it on their own servers. So you want to make sure that you're talking with them. And if you don't understand the technical side of things, um, try to talk to somebody who does to know like what are the things that I should make sure that they have access to, but I'm ultimately the owner of it so they can't steal my code base. They're going to have to develop things locally, but they should still be uploading all of that to a centralized repository so that you have protection. And so I think, uh, Tali, I think you, you're better to talk about kind of the IP relationship and agreement side of things from like a, a kind of legal perspective. Yeah. So I would just say, make sure that any work you have done, even by the folks that are your founders, make sure you have an assignment agreement um, so that if something does go south uh, in terms of a relationship with someone you're working with, you don't have to worry about them claiming that the work is their own. I have an assignment agreement. Laura has an assignment agreement and we've assigned all the IP to Blink. Any marketers that we work with and our developers, everything is very clearly, um, you know, something that 
details that the IP belongs to blank. And so I would just recommend um, that, especially it, it can be a little awkward, especially early on if you're working with a small team. But as long as the person who's asking for it is also saying, hey, I'm signing this too, it removes a lot of that awkwardness. And Laura, I'm actually glad that you brought up the thing about making sure you own your code. I have made that mistake. And you know, when you don't know, and you're just like, I want to get this thing built, at least for me, I didn't even understand I should have my own account in this world and things should be being uploaded to my account. Because when I got the final thing, I'm like, great, I have my thing. And I thought I was fine until years later. I discovered that it was never in my account and I did not understand that far. So such a great point and reminder for everyone listening. Like even if you don't know what we're talking about, just make sure you own the accounts things are being built in. It's, it's such an important note. You think it's at least sounds so obvious, but it's not always so obvious. Yeah. Oh, one thing I want to add to that as well is, um, Uh, So one of the things that we sometimes have issues with, so when you're a startup, there are uh, essentially insert name of thing that you're using or tool that you're using for startups. And it's, a, it's just crazy because that exists. So for example, if there's an analytics tool that you want to use, uh, there's Amazon for startups, Google for startups, all these big name companies have a version for startups, which means that you get better pricing, you get a lot of credits, but there's Twilio for startups, They're, like the list is endless. So if you're ever like, hey, I want to get started on something, but it's very cost prohibitive, you can just Google the name of that for startups. And like 90% of the time, they're either going to have a relationship with a the bank, they're going to have a relationship with uh, an accelerator, an incubator, a community, a program. And so you can get credits that way. And the reason why this is relevant is because sometimes if you're working with a development team and they're setting things up, for example, let's say they're using Twilio or SendGrid, um, there's a ton of credits that you can get. And sometimes if you're allowing your development team to just go and provision those accounts without running it through you first, you'll start getting bills in the mail and you're like, oh, but we actually qualified for you know, a few hundred dollars worth of credits. And so you want to make sure that you are you know, protecting yourself on that front and that you're also maximizing where your hard-earned money is going. And being frugal from that. Because when you're bootstrapped and self-funded, every dollar counts. Uh, And then Tali, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. I just wanted to plus one the portion where you were saying, you know, there's these versions for startups like Google for startups and so on. But also there have been times where I've just reached out to these smaller companies and said, hey, we're a startup, we're bootstrapped, we don't have a ton of money. You know, this your product's really amazing and it's really helping us power this. Do you have any discounts? And sometimes they will say yes. Sometimes they'll negotiate the pricing with you. Uh, the tool that we use for our releases for our podcast traditionally costs more per month than what we're paying. And so we just kind of, you can also just ask um, if they have something that's available for startups. That's also another great way to save money if you're bootstrapping. One application that uh, when you're first starting out as a startup, there's a lot of pitches that you're going to do. And some of them, not some of them, there's only one. I think South by Southwest requires that you actually pay to apply to pitch. And I was flabbergasted at what the cost was. I was like, oh, we can't afford that. We're bootstrapped. And then I found in this like teensy little fine print in their FAQs, which is what to do if you're a bootstrap company or a startup that's really early stage. All you have to do is email them and then they give you a coupon code and then you you actually get it for free. So obviously you have to meet certain criteria for that, which we obviously met. And I think most other startups that want to pitch will meet that as well. Uh, but I just was, uh, we almost submitted an application for, you know, a few hundred dollars. And then just by sending that one email to plus one, what Tali was saying about reaching out, a lot of them have like a discretionary budget where they can waive the cost of things, waive the cost of conference fees because of the size or the stage that you're at. It's such a good reminder. I wanted to do a a shout out to your podcast. Tell us one, where to find the podcast, what the podcast is about, how long you've been doing a podcast. It would be a crime to not talk about your podcast on a podcast. (laughs) 
Yes. So our podcast is Date in a Blank. Uh, it can be found on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Anchor, everywhere that you could, you know listen to podcasts. We have it listed. Um, we have our 17 dates, like I said, and each date is 10 minutes long. Um, and it's sort of like being a fly on a wall on someone's date. If you're the type of person who's at a restaurant, likes looking over at other, at other tables and wondering, is this a first date? How's it going? What are they talking about? This is the podcast for you. And yeah, in our latest episode, the one that's going to be dropping, I think on Tuesday is where we reveal which couples matched and which did not. So super excited to have wrapped season one and super excited to also start season two. It was was so much fun to record and, and we're really excited to bring on more couples. And tell us a little bit about the production process. I mean, because you're not just podcasters, you're primarily a a tech company building, uh, you know, matchmaking technology and you're utilizing podcasting to share your story. So how do you fit podcasting into the, I mean, and you both work two full-time jobs and you have lives. So like, how do you, how do you produce it in a way that makes it doable? (laughs) Lives? What's that? Uh (laughs) The preparation part was probably the hardest part. There was a mixture of making sure all of our outreach was reasonable, uh, how we reached out to people, where we reached out to people, and coordinating. Tali was human matchmaker, which also took a lot of time and energy, uh, and so that was also really fun. Um, Other things, uh, there's a lot of setup that goes into even just planning before you actually host the date. Hosting the dates was honestly the easiest thing. Because it was super simple. They're just 10-minute dates. And so for if anyone's listening and they want to go on a date, a date in a blank, <laughs> you can check it out uh, and then submit. And we can try to matchmake you and have you on the podcast. takes less than 15 minutes of daters' time. The post-production part is actually uh, the, the biggest learning curve for us. So uh, we did a course, like a, pod, a basic podcasting course, just to get up and running. We originally used Anchor so that we could uh, record our first bits of audio and that was where we realized Anchor is very difficult, not to, not to poo-poo them, um, but it was really difficult because it records as one audio file. And so if you're trying to figure out, hey, there's a lot of uh, echo or background noise in one person's track, you can't, you can't separate those things out. So our first like three episodes that we hosted, we had audio glitches on two of them. One of them made like uh, two to three minutes of the date completely, uh, you couldn't understand what they were saying. So I actually had... My partner, Gustavo, and myself, we actually had to uh, uh, reenact it. So if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear it. Um, And so it's one of those things, figuring out, like, what's the right tool for us? We ultimately moved to Zencaster so that we could record uh, the audio file separately. Uh, Learned a lot about post-production. It is uh, a lot more... It's not as hard as you think it is. It's not as easy as you think it is. It's just time-consuming, really. Uh, And then, Tali, I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, I think even beyond the recording. So like Laura said, the date itself was the easiest part. And honestly, it was so much fun. And we would squeeze those in in the evenings. We'd squeeze them in on Saturdays. It took 15 minutes. And so it was super easy. Um, you know, the before and after was really the challenge. And the after for me, the part, portion that I did was all of the social media stuff. So I would prepare the posts, I would prepare audiograms, I would schedule it on all the various platforms, create the captions. And it doesn't sound like that should take a lot of time, but it does. It really, it, you know, it, making sure that you're scheduling everything in the right times and places. And so it is a really involved process, getting a, a podcast up and running end to end. It, it was a labor of love and we did it sort of as an experiment. We weren't sure how it would go. We loved it. And, uh, you know, I am really happy that we ended up taking taking the gander and losing a little bit more of our free time so that we could do it. 
And I guess just in terms of what it's done for Blink, I think beyond the validation and being able to talk to customers, I think it's a really great way for people who are interested in the idea to get a sense of what it's like to go on an audio only date. Like how deep can you get in a 10 minute date? Do people really open up? What do people talk about in 10 minutes? Like, is it awkward if you're just talking to someone you've never met before? And so I think it's a really powerful tool to help expose people to what audio and voice first dating can be like. I feel like we address this, but I want to ask it in the more formal way because it's my favorite question on the podcast is what's one huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome? I, I think that's always really inspiring and something that we could all take away. What's one huge obstacle you've experienced in this crazy tech world that you've successfully overcome? Oh, boy. Uh, I think, honestly, just getting started is one of the hardest things. Amen to and so that. I guess I just want to clarify that. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I just want to clarify the question. Do you want me to talk specifically about getting started in Blink or kind of getting started uh, transitioning into tech as a whole? I mean, anywhere, a great question, anywhere in the journey of your career at, mm. at any point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is, this is going to go back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier, but I've had people at strategic points in my life show me that there are other paths forward. And so one of the things that was an obstacle for myself was learning how to learning how to identify other paths. So sometimes I can get very narrow, uh, narrow focused on things and think that there's only one path forward. And so because I've had some people very strategically say, hey, how about you pivot a little bit and see that there's all these other doors and windows over here that you can go through, uh, that I've started to learn how to adopt that myself. And so I think it's one of those things that I think a lot of people have some semblance of imposter syndrome that they deal with. And so for me, it was kind of having that throughout my life. And then I've always had people believe in me, not always, but I've had some people who believed in me along the way who really showed me how I can gain confidence in myself. And so that's one of those things that uh, I now challenge myself more regularly when I'm starting to feel kind of downtrodden about certain things, or I'm starting to feel the second I notice to myself that I'm trying to make a whether or not I should move in a one direction type of way. But the second I start hearing that language in my mind, I challenge myself now to say, is there another path forward? What are some other ways I can think about this? And I, I will plug a book for people if they haven't heard of it. It's called Decisive. And they really go into what are some triggers, like essentially creating a fail trip for yourself, or I think it's called a fail trip, uh, where anytime you hear yourself thinking in certain language, to essentially note that and then challenge yourself to think differently about it. And it gives you a lot of really concrete tools. And I, I read that book many years ago and I reread it recently and it's still just as relevant as ever before because it's really about challenging your own thinking. And I think for me, just by doing that, it's opened up a lot of opportunities and it's also made me a lot calmer in kind of how I respond to different things and situations. I just wrote that one down. I love the title. I have a book I just read recently that was a complete game changer, I feel like, in the same category as Decisive called Effortless. Have you heard of Effortless? Oh, I did hear about it recently, but I haven't. Uh, it's on my list of things to read. I'm going to add it to my list it's, now. It's great even as an audiobook. Like, it just, it takes things that we already know and just kind of, like, moves them around a bit to to kind of clean up our mental equations to make things effortless. Like sometimes we just make things so much more complicated than they need to be, but we're not doing that intentionally. It's because we don't take a pause and be like, wait, is this actually the most effortless way to execute on this? And typically I feel like that we're all driven people. We probably go over and beyond pretty often. And so it's like, well, do you really need to go that over and beyond every single time? Like, 
is the other option still over and beyond, just not as extensively over and beyond, you know, like, yeah, effortless. I really liked it. How about for you, Tally? What's an obstacle that uh, you've successfully overcome um, at any point throughout your career? The one that's standing out to me most right now is transitioning out of law and into tech. It is very interesting to be simultaneously overqualified and underqualified for just about everything you apply for. You know, if I applied for things, people would be like, you're a lawyer, you know, what do you want to do this for? Or, you know, oh, you haven't had enough marketing experience, so how could you apply for this job that involves some sort of marketing? And so it was really hard to convince people that I could do something other than law. And I had only practiced law for a year and a half. So it wasn't like I'd been there 20 years and was trying to break out. And so it, it took a lot of, um, and it also just the whole process of leaving law, it, you know, involved a lot of self-doubt, a lot of questioning, like I'd invested so much time and money into becoming a lawyer, only to leave after a year and a half, like maybe I should give it another chance. And so there was so much uh, doubt and uncertainty. And I ended up, you know, getting really lucky. And this is just a shout out to, to networks. Like uh, the way that I got my first job post law firm was by talking to my partners, friends, brothers, like connection who'd met once. It was a super random long string of connections. And it was like a a process that took several months just by fostering connections and staying in touch with people. And I got a referral at this company and the hiring manager was the type of person who thinks outside the box. And I got a job and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And so getting through that process of kind of self-discovery in terms of finding what I wanted to do and actually getting there was really hard, but also something that, you know, is just so rewarding. And I'm so happy it worked out the way that it did because it's slowly and surely led me to where I am today. And I'm, I'm quite happy with where my career is now. And speaking of networking, how did you and Laura get into touch in order to do this company together? And what would both of you say is the main benefit of having a co-founder? Yeah, so we actually met on Instagram through a dog mom group. Laura was living in Boston and I was living in New York at the time. And we both have black and tan Shibas. We just bonded. We spent a little bit of time. We got to know each other just by visiting each other's cities. But in 2019, we both happened to relocate from the East Coast to Los Angeles. And so we really bonded over the process of relocating from the East Coast to the West Coast, the process of moving, getting settled in LA. We started spending more time together in Los Angeles and hanging out. And our friendship really blossomed. And so in November of last year, as I was working on Blink, I, you know, we'd been texting so much about Blink and she had so many amazing ideas that at one point I was like, hey, this might be crazy, but would you want to try working together? And it could be a trial period. Like we can see how it goes. And within like two, three weeks, I was like, I hope she feels the same way, but I feel like she's my work penguin and I want to continue this relationship and have her be my co-founder. So um, a little bit about how we met and kind of where, how we got to where we are now. Laura, obviously, if you want to add anything there, please chime in. I always love the way you tell the story of like how we met (laughs) and how the, the path kind of, uh, the way that it weaves. So I, I don't really have anything to add other than we do have some very entertaining photos of our dogs together celebrating different holidays. <laughs> so just for kind of the, the precursor and the pre-story to, to being on Blink. I do love the rapport that you both have with one another. It's very protective and empowering. And I don't know, it's really cool to see. So a selfish question I always have is what is your favorite tool outside of Blink, of course, for dating? And I know, Laura, you had mentioned Agora and GitHub. What would you say is your favorite app or website? Ooh, okay. My favorite app? Oh, my God. Slack. I wish it wasn't that Slack, counts. but it's Slack. That counts. That counts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I I am very verbose. Uh, if you haven't noticed, um, so 
I'm, I'm extremely verbose and I love Slack because there's so much customization that you can do with it. I also love emojis and Slack emojis. And so I feel like I can very well express myself. Uh, and I just appreciate being able to have good, consistent communication with people. To the point that like, I barely use, I use email uh, for general coordination and things like that. But for anything work-related, it's, it's the closest thing you can get to a real-time conversation, especially when you're working in a distributed way. Um, and I, just, I feel like I can express myself so well on it. I love the extensions and how it can extend. Uh, we can use it for um, you know, commenting back and forth in Jira, in Asana, in you know, commenting on Google Docs. It's just the, the list is kind of endless on that front. So for me, it's one of my, uh, my... If you were to look at my usage of any app on a given day, Slack is 1,000%, my number one. I use it for work. Tali and I are in a ton of different communities together, and so I'm on those pretty consistently. Uh, and it's, just, it's great for community building and uh, expression. How about you, Tally? So I'm going to say Asana or Monday.com. I'm sorry. I know they're competitors, but I've used both. And I think they're both stellar in their own ways. Um, but I am the type of person that thrives on to-do lists because I have a terrible memory. So the only way that I remember to do things is by writing it down. And, but once I'm able to write it down on the to-do list, it's out of my brain and I don't have to think about it. And so having these very elaborate to-do lists, and when I say elaborate, I mean like, I don't even know how many tasks we have in Asana. There, it's like a, it's like a, a mountain, a pa- palace, like with so many different corners. But having it has really enabled us to stay on top of our tasks and make sure nothing slips through, slips through the cracks. We are able to set things up to remember, you know, two months out, tomorrow, like every single thing that we have to do is in Asana. And for me, it's really gratifying to like look back on, on, on all the things we've done. It's not just, you know, forward looking. It's also this backward looking thing that, you know, documents our successes so far and how much we've done despite being full-time, kind of working full-time on day jobs and doing Blink in our nights, weekends, and, you know, holidays. And so for me, a to-do list, like, and a to-do list tool like Asana on Monday, they just, like, really do it for me. And I just, I don't think I could survive without them. Sorry, I just want to say uh, one thing that is impressive to me. So I've always wanted to use to-do lists and was never able to get started with them. And then starting to work on Blink with Tali, I've been like a complete convert to using them. Uh, and it's just, it's incredible to see somebody who uses it so consistently that it's, uh, it's like, it's something of beauty uh, for future people. When we start hiring and you want to see the most incredible thing you've ever seen, like Tali's ability to like take these tasks and put them in a way that makes sense and all these different tools it's a mwah, chef's kiss. It's beautiful. <laughs> a ladder with rungs, with one, many rungs, is easier to climb, is the way that we think about it. One of my favorite uh, to-do list systems has been Things for Mac. It's a Mac app. I don't know if you both have heard of for Things. Uh, give that a Google and check that one out. I'm going to check How it out. How can people connect with you? Yeah. So if folks want to check out our website, that's a great place to sign up for our wait list. It's www.theblinkdate.com or on all socials at The Blink Date. So Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Um, If folks want to engage with us there, we'd love to hear from you. And folks can also email us. There's a contact form on our website um, if they want to reach out, ask questions, or just tell us their dating stories or talk about relationships. We always love talking about love. And yeah, we also have our podcast. If folks want to check that out, that's Date in a Blink. And our website is dateinablink.com. Um, and we also have socials, Date in a Blink, on Instagram, Twitter, and um, Facebook for that. And where can people connect with each one of you directly? Do you hang out on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn? What should be the best bet there? 
So I am on Instagram and on LinkedIn if folks want to reach out. And, and just to, to plug, if folks are looking to leave law, I've talked to a lot of people in that bucket and I am happy to keep doing so. So anyone who's listening, who's thinking about leaving law or even just a career transition in general, I really love um, helping other people figure that out because it is such a journey and it's really nice to feel like you're not alone. So anyone who's in that bucket, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or even Instagram. And can you spell your Instagram handle for everyone? Oh, yes. It's Talisita, T A L. E-E-S-I-T-A. Perfect. And we'll include it in the show notes as well. And Laura, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm not like, I'm not the most active on posting in any of those places, but I'm very responsive in messages. So uh, yeah, those are the two best places to find me. And similar to Tali, um, if you're interested in career transitions or what it's like to hold down a day job while you're trying to build your, your baby, definitely reach out. Happy to talk about those things. And can you spell your handle for those as well? Yeah, so my handle on Twitter is lsicone, so it's L-C-I-C-C-O-N-E. Perfect. And one last question, well, kind of like a question and a half. I know, Laura, you mentioned the book Decisive. Tali, what book do you recommend we all check out? Oh, yeah, I meant to mention this earlier when I was talking about career transitions. Uh, Designing Your Life is a book that was really helpful for me as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. It has some exercises, but even if you don't do the exercises, it's really helpful to think about how they, you know, talk about, they they talk about how to think about your career. So, you know, some folks might really enjoy certain portions of their job, but other portions really drain them. And so it makes it a lot harder to enjoy the parts that you do like. And so it was just a really interesting concept in how to think about your day-to-day job and how you can, you know, take that analysis and then optimize what it is that you're doing and kind of find the career that you want, design your life. Uh, And so I found that book really helpful as I was doing that transition. Designing your life. And then very last question, grand finale question is best piece of advice each of you have gotten throughout your journey to help propel you forward. I have a couple of mantras that I live by. Uh, And so one of them I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, which is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just a little bit extra. Uh, And then the other one is preparation is the only shortcut you need. A lot of times people hear about um, apps making it big and they hear about these overnight successes. And for the most part, uh, most most apps are not overnight successes. Most startups, most companies, they have years and years of uh, really grinding before really getting traction, unless they're extremely privileged or they've done it before and they can tap into really big networks that uh, believe in them and can fund them. But most people, they have a really, really difficult journey beforehand. And so there's no quick wins uh, in a lot of these things. As much as you try to, you know, growth hack your way to success, growth hacking still takes a really long time. It's just a fancy way of, you know, marketing essentially. So yeah, so just uh, preparation and and staying at it. Those are things that um, you never want to walk into something unprepared for the situation. So by just being a little extra prepared before you do anything that you engage with, you'll find that it gives you such a leg up. And knowing what you want to get out of a given situation. So if you're entering a room to network, you want to know, why am I here to network? And if you're not getting that from that, you can know to maybe find something else or change your expectations. So that that would be mine. Preparation is the only shortcut you need. Yeah. So we keep hearing this advice lately, and I actually think it, it really sits well with me and resonates with me. When you're doing a startup or really doing anything, if you ask 10 people for their opinion, you're going to get 50 different versions of advice. And so remembering that advice should just be taken with a grain of salt and you should really dilute it into what is important to you and make the decision that's best for you. And remember that everyone's coming from a different perspective. And so 
you know, if somebody's coming at it, you know, with a t- totally different life experience, their advice might be really valid, but it might not necessarily apply to you. So don't, don't feel like just because you're getting pulled in 50 different directions that you can't find the right way. You just need to kind of absorb it and choose what will be best for you. And I think Laura and I are doing that now as we go through the fundraising process, because you can show your deck to five different people and get very different feedback as to what it should be instead. And at the end of the day, we just need to choose what's going to make sense for us as we represent our business. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary, as Laura says, women in tech around the world, make sure to go to womenintechvip.com to sync with the community. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at Women in Tech Show. And I will see you guys, hear you guys, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. This is Laura Sacconi, co-founder and COO of The Blink Date, an audio first speed dating experience. I'm based in sunny Los Angeles in the west side, and you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, I'm Tali Matitiahu, co-founder of Blink Date, an audio first speed dating app. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, and you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.